Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with Brad Tenenholtz. Brad, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. I'm Brad. I am the CEO of the CEA, which is a really fun title. Uh, the CEA is the Corporate Esports Association. We get companies from all around the world to play video games against each other, and the uh, all of the registration fees we collect in the process are donated to a charity of the winner's choosing. So I'm really happy to be here. Excellent. I'm, I'm excited to to talk more about your company. Can you give us like a, an overview of value that you provide to companies? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, look, it's no shock to anyone that retention is hard these days. I mean, we've all heard about the great resignation, about how hard it is to keep a remote workforce engaged. But if you can meet people where they are, and, you know, since one in four Americans are playing video games, you know, that is the place to be. What we've seen is that you can build retention up really quickly. And, you know, in a matter of days, you can achieve what years worth of HR plans, you know, in many cases fail to. Uh, we work with more than 200 companies across America and the world. Uh, and what, we, what we're able to do is show them that by creating communities and using competition, friendly competition to uh, kind of incubate those communities and make them grow on their own, we're able to allow the people that participate in CEA events to stay a much longer time uh, with their current employer and to be happier while they're there. Um, you know, we've done a number of studies that kind of study how, you know, what factors uh, influence in- employee retention. And what we find is that overwhelmingly, if you have friends where you work, if your manager is your friend, if you believe in the mission of the company, and if you're, you know, on good terms with the people you spend the most time with, the probability of you leaving is very low. Uh, and we bring all of that to our, you know, to the, the companies that participate with us. Awesome. So what's a good example of an, an, an event? What would be like two participating groups? Oh, well, I mean, I, I, I couldn't answer that question without telling you about the championship series. So twice a year, we get, again, more than 200 corporate teams around the world together to battle one another in a competition for charity. If you can name a company, they probably are playing in that competition. Like Amazon, Microsoft, Twitter, Tesla, General Motors, Target, Walmart. I could go on for days. So many companies of all shapes and sizes participate in the championship series. So, you know, listen, I think you have a passing familiarity with video games. Is that fair to say? I play video games every day. <laughs> Much to our uh, significant other's chagrin, I would imagine. I'm single. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. You're perfect. <laughs> uh, so, so imagine, imagine you worked at a you know a, a company and you had you know yourself and four coworkers who were big fans of League of Legends, right? So you'd put together forty dollars per person. You would form a League of Legends team, and then once a week for the next sixteen weeks, you would get paired against other companies that also enjoy playing League of Legends. So maybe your first week would be against uh, Gold's Gym, and then your second week would be against Google, and then your third week would be against General Motors. I'm just throwing out company names, right? Uh, and, and what we do is we organize the competitions so that no one's getting stomped, so that you know most mashups are fair and fun. And then if you're very competitive, if you're one of the best companies out there, you'll enter a playoffs bracket. And at the very end, you'll play one big grand final streamed before lots and lots of people. And uh, the winner decides to which charity 100% of registration fees are donated. Cool. So this is a really interesting business. How did you get started? Well, so the CEA is about eight years old. Um, you know, once upon a time, uh, you know, I, I was friends with this very large streamer. And, uh, you know, and this is, again, this is 2012, right? Like esports was a a hypothetical concept it was it was it it had it didn't exist it was just something people were talking about 
And people said, you know, why isn't there an esports league for companies? And we said, oh, it's got to exist. I mean, it exists everywhere else. Why wouldn't it exist there? And we found out that it didn't. So, you know, my buddy, who was a really big streamer, said, I'm going to start a company. And they brought me on to be the StarCraft II game lead. And in our first season, we had four participants, which was really big. We had Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, and, oh, Google, I think, was, was the fourth in that first season. We thought, this is great. And uh, Blizzard, Activision Blizzard, who was just acquired, uh, kicked in $5,000 and said, here, donate that to whoever wins, the charity of whoever wins. And we thought, this is great. This is amazing. And you know, that first year was great. And the second year, we had uh, 12 teams. Then after that, we had 16. And then I think that the year after that, we had maybe 50 or so. And we thought, this is great. This is probably about as big as it's going to get, though. You know, it's, it probably can't. You know, there's probably just not that much of a critical mass of gamers anywhere else. And then the season after that, we had 132 teams. Uh, and, you know, we've grown pretty consistently year over year since then. And we're looking to, uh, this year especially, make that growth exponential with a few changes we're making, which is really exciting. That is really cool to see um, that that natural growth that you've been able to experience. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. You know, we don't spend a dollar really on marketing. Um, I think in the history of the CEA, the total marketing budget has been under five digits. Wow. Um, yeah, we, we bring people together through, you know, a, a very kind of what I'll call helped, helped organic nature, assisted organic nature. Mm-hmm. Like word of mouth and such? Well, you know, word of mouth is definitely the, you know, the way we market most. But as you know, word of mouth, you know, doesn't scale super well, right? Um, so what we do is we, you know, we bring together the people who are really passionate about CEA. I mean, people whose entire careers at where they work are predicated on their involvement in the CEA. So for instance, um, I can name a couple of individuals at IBM who have been rapidly promoted in the past couple of years. And they've been promoted because they are known as a leader and they're known as a leader because they lead IBM's gaming group. And people realize they can trust that person because of the things they do, quote unquote, extracurricularly. Anyway, we talk cool. to people like, yeah, we talk to people like that and we say, hey, we're doing this great thing. Would you be willing to talk about it for us? And we have them, you know, either we'll host a, a webinar or we'll, you know, have them, you know, make a social media post. And I say have them, and they're more than willing to you know, talk about this great experience they're having. And we amplify each other, right? You know, when they do something great, we talk about it as well. Um, and, you know, we, we focus on rewarding the community for the outreach they do for us. And that's gone really well. That's powerful. That's powerful. Um, do you do a lot of um, like PR and like press kind of interviews almost like this one a lot? Not as much as I'd like to. I like being the center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think uh, what I'll call the mainstream media. So, you know, we had an interview with the Wall Street Journal um, New York Times, uh, you know, the, the, the places you think of as like, you know, normal, you know, old media have a hard time thinking about what we do without making it a joke. Um, you know, they, they want to see screenshots of Google and Amazon saying horrible things about one another. Um, they want to see, you know, corporate rivalries playing out over discord. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm really loath to give them that data because I think that what we have here is really special and I don't, I don't often see that see it being treated with respect. Yeah, I, I want to dive into the data that you collect on interactions yeah. uh, while the gaming is happening and how that plays a big role in the value you offer. Yeah, well, we're very lucky to have a 
pretty damn good data science team, and that has got, gotten us very far. So, you know, we asked a question oh, about four years ago now, and we said, when you get frustrated playing a game, is that the same way you get frustrated in real life? So something goes wrong in a game and you react. Does that reaction look like the way you react to anything else in the world? Because wouldn't that be interesting, right? Wouldn't it be interesting if we could measure through all the analytics that games give us what humans look like when they're upset? And yeah, as it turns out, it turns out that really people are just kind of people and it doesn't matter. So we said, well, what if every other emotion was pretty much the same in a game as well as out of a game too? And it turns out, yeah, they, they pretty much are. So we were able to develop this data science solution that we call Comprehend. So what we do is we listen to you play a video game. We listen to the things you say, the things you do while you're playing a game, and we analyze it. And we associate all of the things you say and the reactions your teammates have to those things you say to one of five factors. How much of a leader you are, how much of a listener you are, how active and interactive you are with your team, those types of things. And then we're able to give you a really well-formatted report at the end of it, and we can say, you know, numerically, this is how much your teamwork is adding to your team's capability in game. This is how much of your victory is attributable to the way you communicate. And sometimes it's a positive amount, and many times it's a negative amount. And what we're able to do is associate those data with the way you behave in the workplace. And what we found is that when we can measure real teams just playing games together, just listening to them talk and measuring how they interact with one another, we can give some pretty hard-hitting truth about the way they talk to one another. Uh, and we've seen some pretty substantial results from that. Do you have any stories about insights you've uncovered through data that you can kind of tell as, almost as a story? Oh, yeah. I'm not going to say who this was. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but we were doing a particular analysis on a team. Uh, and this was a, I'll just say it was a product development team from a company you've heard of. Um, and we were listening to them play. And, uh, you know, this was a team that, in addition to working together during the day, also played in the CEA. And one of their goals was to be better at the video game competition, but their much larger goal was to be better in the workplace. So what they did was they took their real-life leadership and made them the captain of the team. Make sense? So we listened to them play. They were playing Counter-Strike, if you're interested. Um, and we got about five hours of data from them, which is way more than we need. Uh, and we took them aside and we said, okay, guys, let's talk about this. Who's the leader of this team? And everyone said, person A is the leader of this team. We'll call that person Dan. They said, Dan leads the team. And then we showed him the data. And we said, guys, Dan has done nothing to lead this team. Dan is an excellent performer. He's a great listener. But he's not the leader. J Jason's the leader of this team. And everyone said, oh, yeah. Like, it kind of dawned on them. And what we spent a lot of time talking about was if you reframe this team as Jason is the leader, how does that change your perception about the things you hear from Jason? And the answer was, Jason's kind of a dick. Uh, they didn't say that, obviously, but that was, you know, reading through the lines, what they were saying. So what we talked about was, you know, how can you give Jason more data to make him more effective, to do better what he does? How does this apply to the workplace? And then, hey, Jason, here are some way, here are some things, some very specific things. We had timestamps for him uh, where what you said may not have been what you meant. Uh, and he took that very graciously. 
Uh, we check in with them now and again, and the impact it has made. Uh, you know, I can tell you that retention to that team since we measured them has fallen down to zero. Um, no one's left. Uh, and, and a number of other benefits have come out of it as well. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, can you speak to the results that you typically see uh, as an impact to, as you said, retention or, or, or churn on the other side? Yeah, so retention is definitely measurable. So what we see is that teams that participate in uh, in CEA events and use Comprehend, uh, of 80% of the participants will stay in their jobs a, at least a year longer uh, than they would have otherwise, just from a statistical perspective. Um, and we know that just by measuring you know, large trends in data, uh, which is which is really interesting. Um, and then, you know, we can also, you know, ask them other things. And what we find is that people are just generally happier when someone has taken them aside and talked to them about communication in a very empirical data-driven way. A lot of times the data we give them, they already know, but it's hard to bring it up. In our pre-call, you mentioned that when people share a common set of rules, you get better communication. So kind of like, how do we improve that um, you know, the communication issues that might be uncovered. Um, can you unpack how to kind of improve that communication? Well, you know, every team communicates differently. And, you know, what we've noticed is that teams that communicate badly do so in a number of very measurable ways. Um, so what we measure is something we call a toxicity index, uh, which is a game you, a term you probably recognize from gaming. But it's literally a measure of what are the traits in your team that are negatively impacting your communication. You know, we're not really here to tell you what perfect communication looks like, whether you have one leader or whether you have multiple, whatever suits you is fine, whether people like to talk a lot or talk a little. You know, what's important to us is that critical information is being conveyed and we can measure that. And then, you know, people aren't saying things that are holding the team back. Uh, so, you know, one thing we can measure, you know, the most obvious sign of toxicity is flaming. Um, you know, flaming being saying horrible things to your teammates about their performance uh, and, you know, being, you know, very outward and saying negative things. Um, and, you know, that's obvious, but, you know, there's some less obvious things too. Have you ever been on a team where there's one person who does 80% of the talking? I think that's me. <laughs> the, the whole podcast host thing gave it yeah. away, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you think that... You I know, want to get better. Well... <laughs> And, and I'm not in any way uh, trying to make assumptions about your your behavior, but you know, do you think that a team where one person says 80% of things versus a team where you know five people say 20% of things, you know, who do you think is communicating better? The second, right? And we, you know, certainly can measure things along those axes. Um, and essentially, what we can do is we can graph things like you know your total participation, how many words you said, your total gravitas. When you say something, how often do other people say that thing back to you uh, and your attentiveness when other people say things how often do you say them back and as we can you know measure those traits we can try to you know we can understand what the dynamic of the team is we can we can understand things like you know is this really two teams right or you know are these three people talking and these two people talking or you know are is everyone talking together another trait we measure is something we call logical flexibility which is your ability to shift with the flow of the conversation when we see very low logical flexibility, we label that as toxic because you're probably just talking about yourself a lot as opposed to, you know, listening and understanding what other people are saying. Oh, that's interesting. So kind of like flowing with the discussion versus having a key point and like continuing to return to it. Exactly. 
you know, we're not under any illusion that we're going to run this analysis on you once and all of a sudden everyone's going to have an epiphany and see the light. But what we do realize is that if we take these data and we give them to, you know, a, a manager who's already pretty good, who, or a captain or a, you know, a leader of any kind who's already good, who, you know, just wants to do right by their team, we really empower that person to make positive change very quickly. And that's where we want to be. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about kind of bringing it to a point of awareness and and kind of, you know, making it really easy for, for the individual to confront themselves with, you know, and like really like face their face the truth in a sense. The most common problem we fix is, you know, you've got a, a leader of some kind who knows there's a problem and frankly knows what the problem is but either hasn't or can't enunciate it, enunciate it, articulate it. And we come in and we say in very plain English, this is exactly what you're seeing. And once we just put it into word form, we see action get taken pretty quickly. And it's very satisfying for us to see. Yeah, what are some future technologies that we'll have if you were to like upgrade? Where do you see kind of that, that technology roadmap for your business? Oh my God. Let me tell you a story. I don't know about you, but every time I sign on to LinkedIn, I have like one message that I care about and nine messages from salespeople that I don't want to talk to. Yeah. And, you know, listen, I, I know this is a marketing podcast, so maybe I'm going to offend someone, but I got to tell you, I think most salespeople I talk to are just people I am not interested in speaking to. Yeah. But if the way they approached me was in a way that was prescribed by Comprehend, um, hey, Brad saw your profile, tell me a little bit about yourself. That's interesting. Are you having any of these problems? Yes, no, yes, yes. Okay, well, let's talk about that. And just got to know me, did more listening than talking. I would probably buy a lot more things. So wouldn't it be interesting if we could plug into your, you know, Chime or your Gong or whatever you use, you know, your Zoom, and listen to how your salespeople are taking calls. How much talking are they doing versus how much talking is the customer doing? Are you listening or are you just hearing? That's something that doesn't exist today, but it could exist soon. Cool. Um, that's, yeah. That's very cool. And then you could you could take that further and and compare the patterns of more successful closers and see what that ratio should be and use that for best practice training. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We could do that. And frankly, I think that's a down the line goal, because I think that there's a lot of low hanging fruit in, you know, what you would find immediately, which is a lot of salesmen who are just trying to get their pitch in, get the rejection and be out the door. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Something that could that could be on the roadmap. Yeah. Cool. This is this is really exciting. And yeah. it goes into uh kind of a new, you know, it's almost like audio analytics, if you think about it. Yeah. And I think there's not enough of that. Like, you know, and remember, we don't need audio because we parse everything into text anyway. So wouldn't it be cool if we could like analyze every community on Twitter and rank them like, you know, one, two, N, you know, most to least toxic. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, Yeah, I think it would be a very shallow distribution on Twitter. But, you know, like we, we could find out a lot about the world and give you know, data where data needs to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot. This is a you know kind of an off a new offshoot of analytics, um, similar to another offshoot I've learned about recently, which is creative 
analytics and looking actually at the creative elements in an ad and analyzing the combination and um, just, you know, looking at the actual elements, uh, the visual elements, rather than like traditionally, you know, we, we just would look at a image, you know, in totality and just call it like this ad format. Um, so I've, I've noticed that the analytics marketplace or industry is expanding to like new areas, um, whether it's like conversation or discussion, um, text-based or even image-based, um, or even, you know, or, you know, or traditionally, I guess, um, more general than those two. But, um, yeah, it's, it's cool that it's cool that these offshoots are, are starting and, and you're really capitalizing on that. Well, you know, so if you want another story, so, you know, when we first designed Comprehend, we started doing something called sentiment analysis, which is a really, you know, early form of uh, natural language processing, machine learning, where you basically say, okay, you said, you know, these 500 words, are they mostly associated with good things like the word happy or the word good? Or are they mostly associated with bad things like the word angry or frustrated or something like that? And, you know, you just sum all those up and that's your sentiment, right? Was it more good or more bad? And what we found out is two things. First of all, this doesn't tell you anything. And second of all, that sentiment analysis like kind of sucks. Like it turns out people are sarcastic way more often than you would think. Uh, and that, you know, people aren't, you know, it's hard to measure what's coming out of people's mouths. So instead, you have to measure how they react to something. In other words, if I say podcast and then you say a podcast, chances are you were listening to what I said. It didn't just come to you de novo, right? And if we measure the flow of the conversation overall and how often people are following each other's thoughts and reacting to each other's thoughts and then sentiment based on that, we can get a really comprehensive analysis. So, you know, to your point about creative analysis, well, the way you would analyze a creative by our philosophy is not to look at the picture and say, oh, look at the brush strokes. It would be to look at how people reacted to the picture and say, well, I don't know, what are they saying? Because they're probably not lying. Yeah. Can you talk more about sentiment analysis and why it doesn't paint a full picture of a audience's reaction? Sure. Um, imagine we had a conversation and uh, you were making a lot of statements and I was saying, yeah, that's true, but a lot. Um, so I was agreeing with you, but I wasn't quite agreeing with you. Well, if you run that through a, sen a sentiment analysis, sentiment analysis is going to say, oh, he said, yeah, that's true. So that's two words that are probably associated with good. And then he said, but, which is one word which is associated with not so good, but it's not like a heavily not so good. So overall, this is going to be a very positive conversation. But I promise you, and I, I can't cite studies on a podcast, but I promise you, if you show that to like a relationship coach um, or a therapist, they're going to say, this is horrible communication. This is someone who doesn't like conflict, who is trying to be heard without disagreeing too much with you. Sentiment analysis, you know, natural language processing sentiment analysis would totally miscategorize what was being said. But, you know, what Comprehend would do, on the other hand, is it would hear that you're not, like, we're, we're not talking about the same thing at all. Like, as soon as I get to the word but, I'm off on my own train of thought. And, you know, our heads are clashing as opposed to agreeing with each other. Yeah, that you brought up an interesting point about kind of how different people express themselves. And I, it reminded me of something we spoke about on our previous call about people who are a little bit quieter in the workplace 
and what that might really mean. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Thank God you brought this up. It's a great analysis we did. So it turns out no one's quiet. Um, like you, you think of, you know, that quiet kid over in the corner or that, you know, person who doesn't want to talk much, almost no one is really like that because that quiet kid, I promise you has a group of friends that when they're around them, they open up and they are jovial as a butterfly. People are quiet in situations where they're unsure or uncomfortable. And absolutely people have a different tolerance for where they're comfortable and where they're not. And that makes people more quiet and less quiet. And I totally understand that, but everyone has an environment where they're comfortable enough to open up to be themselves and communicate. So when you're in a team and people aren't doing that, you got to ask yourself, what is the cause there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's always an interesting question to ask. Yeah. And, and it puts it into more context. You know, it's, you can't just use the excuse of, well, this is just like a very quiet person. It, it puts the onus on the others in the room to, to be mindful and to try to understand like what the disconnect or the, um, why, why, what's going on, like why it's happening. Yeah. It's interesting when you measure the people who communicate better in a virtual environment versus the people who communicate less. Um, and I say less, not worse. Um, it's interesting when you eliminate uh, nonverbal cues, how people feel differently. Um, and that's been a you know an area we're still breaking into. Yeah, do you recommend being on video? Um, and what's the like what would be the difference on a team that's on versus off video? Well, I think what I'm supposed to say is, oh, yeah, turn on your camera, be more active because most communication is nonverbal. And to an extent, that's true. But, you know, what we notice is that there are nonverbal cues that make people feel welcome and nonverbal cues that make people feel alienated. So I guess what I would say is if your nonverbal cues are positive, that it's good to turn on your camera. And if um, you feel like you're frowning a lot or crossing your arms whenever someone talks, um, maybe you're not being as productive a part of that conversation as you could be. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, I know. Interesting data that comes out of uh, comes out of analysis, huh? Yeah, this is making me really look in inwards and recognize how I can communicate better in a team. Um, yeah, I, I have to get better at it. Well, I mean, believe me, we I do not score perfectly on these analyses either. I mean, there's there's room for improvement for all of us. Where would where would somebody go what's a good resource for getting better at communication you know there's been a hundred books that have been written on you know small talk leadership communication i think to some extent all of those have merit and value Um, i will tell you that a lot of people who are bad at communication are very bad and any help at all would be you know appreciated um (laughs) You know, we, we had a client, uh, a lot of warehouse workers at this client, and they said, you know, communication is great, but if you can just get them to stop swearing in front of customers, that'd be great. Uh, and so we you know, did our best there. Um, you know, I think uh, if if this is something that's interesting to you and you want to hear more about it, you can go to our website at gamingforgood.com or cea.gg uh, and learn more and, you know, contact us and learn more about it. 
Um, but you know, it's it all starts with understanding how you communicate and you know specifically where you need the help. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. Um, let me see. So uh, moving on to a different question. Um, explain the. So what did you do before you know getting into CEA? Well, you know, for a while, CEA wasn't my full-time gig, uh, but I've been doing CEA since I was, or, you know, some iteration of corporate esports since I was, I think, 22. Um, you know, my background is in cybersecurity. Um, so, you know, we, you know, I worked on a lot of teams that were very distributed, very virtual. You know, we were remote long, long, long before COVID. Um, and I think that's what initially sparked the interest. Mm-hmm. And how was the transition to being you know kind of the being an employee versus being more of like an owner of a business and being in that leadership role what was that transition like really hard and really painful and i wish i had known when i started my company how business makes people because it made me a certain way um you know it made me very tense it made me difficult to be around and i think you know the earliest people who were my very first subordinates didn't like me very much because I was the kind of leader that really needed to comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know it at the time. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, my best friend was my business partner and it you know, caused a rift between us that I think at this point is mostly healed, but it was, it was rough, man. And, uh, you know, I guess what it taught me is that no one starts off good at leadership. It is a muscle you have to train. Um, so I took some classes, um, and I, you know, I just, I talked to my dad who has always had a lot of employees and I, you know, have tried to get better at it, but yeah, you learn. What are some tactics that you try to employ to be a better leader? Oh, geez. I mean, people are really looking for positive reinforcement and stability. If you can give those two things, you're probably doing okay. And then, you know, Honestly, you know, I, I keep talking about comprehend, but it, it has just changed my outlook on life so much. Did you know that salary has almost nothing to do with retention? That, you know, whether you pay someone what they're worth, twice as much as they're worth or half as much as they're worth, the probability they're going to leave doesn't change a whole lot. What really changes is how validated they feel in the workplace, whether or not they have friends there, whether their manager's good to them. That is almost 100% of what makes up retention. And, you know, what I've noticed is that if I just go out of my way to say good job, to, you know, not micromanage people, to give them some personal freedom, to, as General Patton said, tell them what I want done, not how to do it, I think I have a lot more smiles around the CEA. Mm-hmm. Empowering people to make the decisions rather than micromanaging the decisions. Right. When it comes to marketing analytics what do you as a business owner actually look at and utilize so you know for us it's all about growing a community right like you know we don't sell a product in the same way that a company makes that makes like nails sells a product we're kind of selling an experience and a community to you i mean everyone in the cea is in the cea well that's not true but about 25 percent of the people who are in the cea are in the cea discord they communicate between once a week and once a day. So what we're really selling to you is the whole community around you, this extremely knowledgeable community. 
So what I look at is when we get a new team, what did you hear about that made you want to sign up? You know, what happened? And, you know, I can always trace that back to, you know, something I said or something someone said or some social media post we made. And, you know, as I've accumulated those data over the years, I've gotten really good at learning what works and what doesn't. So you you really care about attribution and where what's driving customers or, or participants. Yeah, I'm I'm very granular, right? So I look at every individual registration and I say, how did we get you? And because we only sell, you know, between let's say 400 and 800 of these a year, I have the capacity to do that. And and I can ask, you know, okay, well, were you here last season? Because if you were, I I probably know why you're back, right? I mean, our our retention rate is like 100%. So you know, beyond that, you know, if you're new, what happened? And and usually I'll hear something like, well, actually, you know, IBM plays with the CEA, and then someone from IBM came over here, or you know, well, I'm friends with this guy, and this guy said this. You know, there's a lot of that stuff. You know, we talk about like you know the the analytics that are posted by like Twitter, or LinkedIn, or you know, Shopify does some stuff for us, and frankly, all that stuff is really misleading. You know, I, I could I could publish a, a LinkedIn article or a LinkedIn post that'll get eleven thousand views. You know, I could do that today and get no teams from it, right? Like, it it is really a a personal impetus that pushes someone over the brink to take an action, and I think you need more than just words on a page for that. Um, so you know, I try to stay away from what I would call called like traditional marketing analytics. Yeah, I think that for your for your it's it's really more of a service. Your the traditional marketing online marketing channels really don't work as well as for a tangible product. Right. There's more brand. Right. I mean, you would have to. Yeah, have. it's 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 not a sweatshirt. It doesn't jump into your cart, right? I mean, it's something you have to think about and work toward and decide you're going to do. I mean, being a captain is hard. You got, you know, five and probably more personalities who all think their own way. And you've got to decide you want to be the person who's directing them. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, when someone takes that commitment, it's usually for a good reason. That's cool. Um, so in, so you said you don't really run paid advertising. What, how do you get the message out? Well, so, you know, the CEA is pretty good at interacting in the spaces where we feel strongly. So I'll give you an example. Um, Not too long ago, we made a very long form post on social media that just said, hey, are you a CEA team that wants to know what charity to pick for your team? We've done exhaustive analysis. Here's the place where your money will go the furthest. And we just kind of listed 10 charities that are really, you know, we think donations there are a really good idea. Um, And, you know, that got some, some shares and people said, well, wait a minute, how do I do this? And it got people looking at the CEA and, you know, they kind of joined the community and then they joined the CEA. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, in, in, in other cases, we don't say anything. So we, we did a podcast or sorry, not a podcast, a webinar where we just brought in someone who had done comprehend and we said, why don't you just talk about your experience to people? And he did, or sorry, they did. There were three of them and they were amazing. Uh, that, that webinar is now up on our YouTube channel. It does well. Um, and, you know, listening to, you know, their their experiences is, I think, a much better form of marketing than listening to me drone on. I like that. So you're talking about an organic strategy and just engaging with people using testimonials and real life stories. 
Yeah, and it's not that we've never run a paid ad. I mean, I think we're going to start one on Monday, but you know, we're going to spend two hundred dollars on it, and that's that's all the budget I'm giving it because I don't I don't really this isn't how I want to spend our money. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So you're it's you're you focus on building a community as your main um, goal. Is that correct? I can tell you three romantic relationships that have spawned from CEA. I could talk from here until, what is it now, 6.30, until 9 o'clock about all the promotions that have come from it, the cross-company moves that have come from it. People see value in you know, engaging in this extremely you know, like-minded, fun, educated, capable, frankly, community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people really, everybody wins. It's you. It's a virtuous cycle. Like if you participate, then you personally will um, benefit, and at you being the a participant, and then like you, Brad, also benefit from everybody else benefiting as the leader of the organization. So it's a virtuous cycle. There's no, there's nobody, or there's there's nobody who kind of has to um, bear the, you know, a, a, a much of a weight. I'll give you another example. Um, about a month ago, oh my God, was that already a month ago? There was a really, really bad cyber attack. You probably read about it. It's called LogForge or Log4j. And probably the worst cyber attack to happen in the past decade. And hmm. at the very beginning, there were a lot of cybersecurity people. And you know, this is kind of my world, right? My previous world. Um, who, was this, who just what, what was this for? Was it, I remember we had a cream cheese yeah yeah yeah. the cream cheese thing was related to this okay um but it was obviously much more than just the cream cheese i mean everyone was affected by this it's just funny that that's that's the indicator (laughs) that's how i remember it (laughs) well good marketing right like you use cream cheese um yeah so so you know and, and a lot of people didn't really know what to do but everyone knew something so you know we found all of the security people that play for the cea and or everyone that we knew of anyway obviously it's not everyone and we just offered them like hey do you want us to put you in a group chat where you can talk about this in a private way and you know we saw some i I don't want to say too much because i'm going to reveal who it was but information was shared that was very helpful um and being able to do that like in the moment is you know helpful yeah that's great, you know, and and it exemplifies a the principle that I'm trying to do in this podcast, which is to you know build an audience and a community before really thinking about you know trying to get get something from that community, but rather to build the community up, and for that to be the end in itself, um, and that's kind of how you're describing it. Like you you want to you know you you want to bring people together and solve some problems by bringing people together. Um, and, and that's kind of like a good end in its itself. Yeah. I mean, none of this would work if I wasn't really good friends with like half of the CEA. Like, I feel like I know everyone. Um, and, and for a 50,000 member community, that's <laughs> mind boggling sometimes, but you know, I do my best. I, I really liked this conversation. Do, uh, do you have anything else that you want to talk about? No, thanks for having me on. That was really fun. I appreciate it. Um, and it was great to hear about, you know, kind of your side of the world. Thank you, Brad. Um, yeah. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you soon.